Let's turn to Ezekiel chapter 36. As I've mentioned a few times, chapters 33 through 48, which is the remainder of this uh, great book of Ezekiel, uh, being the last section, has to do with the restoration of Israel and the, and the people to the land of Israel. And uh, one very important thing that chapter 36 will deal with, and much of that is going to be next, next week because we're going to cut this chapter in, in half in our study. But much of what it entails is that before the people go back into the land, before they go back in to the promised land that God had already made provision for, their hearts were going to be different. Their hearts were going to be born again. And that is something of great significance in, in Ezekiel chapter 36. But before we get to that, we have to begin looking at what God is going to do in beginning that restoration for Israel to Israel's enemies. We can't deny that Israel has enemies today. They have a lot of enemies. In fact, if, 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 if people were to be honest, much of the world is an enemy of Israel. If you look carefully at the United Nations and the majority of their votes uh, when it comes to the Middle East, and when it comes to Israel, because other nations have, have uh, complained about their um, their need to exist and to continue to exist. Uh, most of the votes go against them. And it has been that way for many, many years, especially since 1948 when they became a nation. In fact, the day after they were declared to be the state of Israel and the nation, they were already fighting for their existence fighting to stay alive because of their enemies that surrounded them. So consider that and keep that in mind as we go through this uh, first portion of chapter 36. It begins in verse 1 saying, Also thou son of man, now this is God speaking to the prophet Ezekiel. Also thou son of man, prophesy unto the mountains of Israel. And say, you mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God, because the enemy has said against you, Aha, even the ancient high places are ours in possession. Therefore prophesy and say, Thus saith the Lord God, because they have made you desolate and swallowed you up on every side. 
that you might be a possession unto the residue of the heathen. And you are taken up in the lips of talkers and are an infamy of the people. Therefore, you mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord God. Thus saith the Lord God to the mountains and to the hills, to the rivers and to the valleys, to the desolate wastes and to the cities that are forsaken, which became a prey and derision to the residue of the heathen that are round about. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, Surely in the fire of my jealousy have I spoken against the residue of the heathen and against all Idumea, that is Edom, that is the Mount Seir group of people, which have appointed my land into their possession with the joy of all their heart, with despiteful minds, to cast it out for a prey. Prophesy therefore concerning the land of Israel, and say unto the mountains, and to the hills, to the rivers, and to the valleys, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I have spoken in my jealousy and in my fury, because you have borne the shame of the heathen. And therefore thus saith the Lord God, I have lifted up mine hand, surely the heathen that are about you, they shall, bear, they shall bear their shame. Now very few lands on the face of this earth have been attacked and ravaged as much as the land of Israel. From the time that the Lord promised the land of Canaan to Abram and his descendants, intruders and invaders have trampled the land. Throughout history, the surrounding nations would constantly send in raiding parties to pillage the small villages of Israel. Moreover, and aside from plundering the, the land of its crops and wealth, armies would pass through, trampling the land on their way to meet opposing armies. It was like just some kind of doormat, you know, that they would just go over back and forth, back and forth, without any real care or concern for either the land or the people. But from the time of Israel's beginning to the present day, enemy nations and terrorist groups have sought to cause chaos and, and destruction to frighten the Jewish people into some sort of submission, I suppose, or, more realistically, to weaken them to the point of driving the death blow to the whole of the nation. In other words, to destroy them completely and drive them into the Mediterranean Sea. In fact, that is what some of the leaders of the Arab nations have said over the past 70 years. And all of this, all of this, to lay claim to the land they have coveted for centuries on end. I've oftentimes mentioned to you that in some Arab and Palestinian uh, areas and lands, they have maps. None of the maps have the nation of Israel on them. The land's there, but not the name. But every nation and people who have abused the land of Israel down through history have overlooked and ignored one critical and, 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 and decisive fact. And that is that the land 
what many today call the Holy Land, belongs to God himself. They've ignored that or they've overlooked it. The land, as far as scripture is concerned, belongs to God himself. It's his land. He has designated, chosen, selected, and even elected the land to be the seat of his government when the sire returns to set up God's kingdom on earth. I want you to consider these things before we get well into chapter 36, because you know what follows chapter 36? Chapter 37. And you know what follows chapter 37? Chapters 38 and 39. And those two particular chapters are chapters that pertain to what's taking place on the earth today. That's why we're so close, so close. I could just, I could just see you guys, just your lips are smacking, you know, can't wait to get to those chapters. We're almost there. But it's important for us to lay the foundation once again, if we haven't already, that how important the land of Judah, the land of Israel, and the, and, and the city of Jerusalem is to God. For example, turn to Isaiah chapter 2. And there in verses 1 through 5, we read that the word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, say, uh, saw, I should say, concerning Judah and Jerusalem. And it shall come to pass in the last days, notice. Now, if you, if you like to mark, mark in your Bibles to remember certain things, you have to mark that phrase, in the last days. That's very significant. What have we been saying all this time that we've been studying not only the books of Ezekiel and Revelation and Daniel and, and uh, Isaiah and Jeremiah and some of the minor prophets? What have we been saying? We're living in the last days now. If Paul and Peter both make reference to the fact that, that they felt they were in the last days, how much more are we in the last days than they? So he says in verse 2, And it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house, the mountain of the Lord's house. Now the, the word mountain is, mountain is significant here because we see that at the, end, at the onset of chapter 36 of Ezekiel. And mountains in the scriptures primarily are symbols of government. And so it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house, making reference now to the government of God, that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow unto it. Now think for just a moment. There are certain diversions going on in the world today where we're getting some of our attention being focused over on, in North Korea, right? That, that's a really weird kind of situation there because they got a really weird leader over there. And these people that live in North Korea are, are just really slaves. I mean, they, they, they uh, I don't know if you've ever seen a picture of, 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 from a satellite picture from, from space down to the area of North Korea and South Korea at night. 
you look at South Korea where it where it is and it's bright you know they have lights and all kinds of activity going on but after a certain time in North Korea man all the lights go out it is a dark place it's a dark place physically it's a dark place spiritually so there's all kinds of little you know we're, we're being moved this way and that way but when it comes right down to it all the focus We'll keep coming back to the Middle East in general, but specifically where the land of Israel is. And this is what God is saying through Isaiah. The mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains. Well, that's where his government will be, Mount Zion. All the nations shall flow unto it, and many people shall go and say, Come ye, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. And he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion, notice, shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, that is, Jerusalem, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. That is where the temple mount is. Today, the very, the very focal point of Jerusalem is the Temple Mount. And he shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many people, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come ye and let us walk in the light of the Lord. A lot of people will take that passage. As a matter of fact, matter of fact even the United Nations has used that, uh, you know, that particular scripture to say, you know, what we're aiming toward is beating our swords into plowshares and that there will be no more war. But it's man that's going to put that into effect, not God. Because they hardly ever believe in God, if they do at all. So then we see the importance of Israel, Judah, and Jerusalem to God. That's his city. It belongs to him and his government will be there. Now there's one more fact that the abusers of the land belonged, belonging to God have overlooked and ignored. Not only have they overlooked and ignored the very fact that the land belongs to the Lord, but they have also ignored and overlooked the fact that the Lord loves the people that he chose to live in this land. He loves the people. And whether you may struggle with this or not, the Jews are God's chosen people. He chose them. If you have a problem with that, take it up with him. I don't see anybody trying to take it up with him, right? Not what we do. <laughs> because we say, hey, Lord, you're God and we're not. Right? But consider this very thought that whether they sin or they suffer, whether they sin or they suffer, God's covenantal honor is wrapped up with them. He made a unilateral covenant with Abraham because he was making that unilateral covenant with Israel, which was in him through Isaac and then Jacob. This was not, you keep this covenant with me, and if you don't keep it, then, you know, I'm going to make it with somebody else. No. He made it unilateral. He made both sides of the covenant for Abraham, and in effect for all of God's people, through Abraham, and especially the Jewish people. 
So whether they sin or they suffer, God's covenantal honor is wrapped up with them. It was in Ezekiel's time that both God's land and his people were suffering. Now, why were they suffering? Because of their sin. Their sin got them into that place where they were moved out into captivity. But nonetheless, the Lord had promised the land to them by covenant with Abraham. So it has to be known and it has to be established. Genesis 12, chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Now the Lord hath said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house and unto a land that I will show thee. Where did Abram live? Abram lived in Ur of the Chaldees. And the Chaldeans were from where? They were from the area of the, of the Euphrates River, which is, of course, what is today Babylon or Iraq. But Babylon. So he came from that particular land. And then he says, I will make of thee a great nation. And I will bless thee and make thy name great. And thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. And of course we know one thing. That because Abram... Abraham is, 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 is the father of, of certainly of, of the, the Jewish people in that particular sense, that he was the grandfather of, of, of Yaakov or Jacob who became Israel. Still, God said, you know, I will, I will bless them. They bless thee. Curse them, the curse thee. And all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Father of, of, of the Jewish people, but he's also the father of the faithful. More importantly, he's the father of the faithful. So, you go to Genesis chapter 13, the next chapter, in verses 14 through 18, and it says, And the Lord said unto Abram, After that lot was separated from him, Lift up now thine eyes, and look from the place where thou art northward, and southward, and eastward, and westward. For all the land which thou seest to thee will I give it, and to thy seed forever. And I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. Arise, walk through the land. Notice he keeps mentioning the land in the length of it and in the breadth of it. For I will give it unto thee. Then Abram removed his tent and came and dwelt in the plain, uh, the plain of Mamre, which is Hebron, and built there an altar unto the Lord. So after he and Lot separated, you know, Lot went in the direction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham went into the, the wilderness of uh, of uh, of Judy of Judah I should say of Judea and, uh, and that's where he would end up and that is where God that's exactly where God wanted him to be. Then you go down to chapter fifteen of Genesis another page over a page and a half over and in verse eighteen it says in the same day now this is when he makes this covenant with Abraham himself. He tells Abraham what to do when he takes these animals and cuts them in half and then he sets them up with two rows so that God would, would go through the covenant, which was the cutting of a covenant, putting the pieces across, and those who would walk through there would be committed to keeping their side of the covenant. God walked through those pieces of, 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 off, of, of offering or the animals to keep both sides of the covenant. That's the unilateral part of the covenant. There in that particular time, it says, In the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. So how, 
Where's that? That's from the Nile River in Egypt all the way over to the land of Babylon, or Ur of the Chaldees, all the way back over to where he came from. That is the whole land that God has given to his people Israel. But today, what are we looking at? We're looking at this little strip of land. There's no, no bigger than the, the, the state of New Jersey. And even though they haven't gone out to get the whole of their land yet, which they're going to get because God promised it to them, still all these nations are coming against that little nation called Israel that's right on the coast of the Mediterranean, that little strip of land that looks like New Jersey, or at least the size of it. Amazing, isn't it? Yet the promise was for all of this land, from Egypt to Babylon. Unto thy seed have I given this land from the river of, of Egypt, unto the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenites and the Kenizzites and the Kadmonites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Raphaims and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Girgashites and the Jebusites and all of the other stalagmites and stalactites and all of them. Whoever lived in all that land, that's what God was giving to Abraham and to his seed. But now Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians had completely and utterly devastated the land, going back over to the time of Ezekiel. They demolished the cities, including Jerusalem. They plundered and pillaged all of its wealth. The land was trampled. The crops were destroyed. Desolation and despair covered the land and became an invitation for the covetous neighbors to set their sights on taking the land for themselves. The people that survived were now in exile through the Babylonian Empire. And because of the devastation, it appeared, let me just emphasize that it appeared that the people would never return to the Promised Land. It appeared. I'm, I'm driving that thought. It looked like they were never going to get back into the land. I want you to consider the confusion that haunted the hearts of the people. The exiles couldn't understand why, why the land that was promised to them by the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was no longer theirs. And after all was said and done, they started to realize that they could only blame themselves for their situation. They could only blame themselves because of their sin. Their sin of rebellion, their sin of disobedience toward the God who loved them and said, if you will obey me and you will obey my commandments, I will bless you and I will guard you and I'll keep you and I'll guide you and I'll win victories for you. But they rebelled. Their sins had corrupted the land and that brought about the Lord's judgment upon his own people. And certainly the Lord had indeed promised them the land, but they needed to trust in him and obey his commandments. That's what they needed to do. Now this goes all the way back to the law. This goes all the way back to the time of Moses. It goes all the way back to Leviticus chapter 26, verses 1 through 4, where it says, You shall make up uh, you shall make you no idols, I should say. You shall make you no idols nor graven image. Now, wasn't this part of the law already? It was already part of the commandments given to Moses 
back in the book of Exodus. He says, you shall make no, or make you no idols nor graven image, neither rear you up a standing image, neither shall you set up any image of stone in your land to bow down unto it, for I am the Lord your God. So what is this telling us? Well, it's telling us that that's what they actually did in the land. Not long after they had already said, when Moses brought the law down from the Mount, uh, Mount Sinai and, and brought it to the people, everybody said, yes, we will keep those commandments. And yet they broke every one of them. Every one of those commandments. In a short amount of time. In shorter time than when man, when man fell to the time that God destroyed the whole earth by flood. In a much shorter time. Now in verse 2 of Leviticus 26, he says, you shall keep my Sabbath. He says, these are the things I want you to do. You've already disobeyed in, in some way the things that I don't want you to do. But you need to keep the things I want you to keep. My Sabbath and reverence my sanctuary. Wow. I wonder if that happens today in churches. Are people reverencing the sanctuary where we meet to worship and honor God? And I don't mean that we have to, you know, kind of, <laughs> we have to be kind of careful about this, this particular thought. But it's, if this is where we're honoring the Lord, this, this is where we're going to worship God and worship the Lord Jesus Christ and, and sing praises unto him, you know, well, it's, it's not that we're reverencing the sanctuary, but we're reverencing the God that's in the sanctuary with us. Because he said, where two or more are gathered in my name, that's where I'm going to be. I'm going to be in the midst of you. You shall keep my Sabbaths, reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. Remember who I am. If you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and do them, then I will give you rain in due season. And the land shall yield her increase, and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. And I'll tell you what, read the rest of Le Leviticus 26. And everything that it says, that, uh, the things that God is going to do if they would just obey him. In fact, go down to verse 14, if you're still in Levit Leviticus 26. In verse 14, now it says, but if you will not hearken unto me, if you don't listen to me, and will not do all these commandments, and if you shall despise my statutes, or if you, your soul abhor my judgments, so that you will not do all my commandments, but that you break my covenant. I also will do this unto you. I will even appoint over you terror. Wow. Consumption. The burning ague or ague, which is, is a feverish type of a disease. That shall consume the eyes and cause sorrow of heart. And you shall sow your seed in vain, for your enemy shall eat it. If you do not do all my commandments. So the Lord gave them an opportunity to do right. And I'm sure that there was a remnant that wanted to be obedient to God. But the people as a whole, led by people who had decided that it was more important for them to be the focus of leadership rather than God, that things fell bad for all of the Jewish people. 
So now the message that he gave Ezekiel for his people was a very special one. What we're seeing now from chapter 33 on, now we're in chapter 36. Because this message promised a bright future for both the land and for the people. A day was coming, in other words, when God was going to renew the land and restore the people. Renew the land. Restore the people. You could very well and easily say, restore the land and renew the people. And you'll see, for, you'll see something about that in just a moment. But they first would be a transformed people. They had to become a transformed people. And they couldn't be transformed from the outside in. They needed to be transformed from the inside out. The promises themselves would go well beyond the return of the Jews from Babylon under Zerubbabel and Ezra and Nehemiah. Way beyond that return. Because after 70 years, then they began to return back to the land. But it, we're talking about way, way past. The promises of these scriptures would point to the last days of human history when the Messiah will return and set up God's kingdom on earth. And, and one thing is for sure. No human action could fulfill these promises of God. Nothing that man could ever do could fulfill the promises of God. It was going to be God and God alone. It was going to be the Lord and the Lord alone. It was going to be the Lord and his Messiah alone. So now when we come to Ezekiel 36, verse 1, it says also, Thou son of man, prophesy unto the mountains of Israel and say, You mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord. The word also, let me just explain that very quickly. The word also here, it's in the King James. But uh, some of your translation may say, And thou, son of man, if that's what it says. What the, the connection here is, is simple. The connection is the... Uh, it's the continuation in context from chapter 35. In other words, the Lord intends no break here. So the translators uh, used the word also, but it was speaking again still to the son of man, which is Ezekiel. So thou son of man prophesy unto the mountains of Israel because of what he has just said to the mountains of Seir. See, he, he was speaking judgment to them, and now he's saying, okay, now... We're going to talk about the mountains of Israel. Okay, so keep that in mind. So there's the connection. And then verse 2 says, Thus saith the Lord God, because the enemy has said against you, Aha, even the ancient high places are ours in possession. Now what was all 35, chapter 35 about? Well, the Edomites wanting the land. Waiting for the Babylonians to destroy it all so that they could go in and get what they wanted to get. Therefore prophesy... And say, thus saith the Lord God, because they have made you desolate and swallowed you up on every side, that you might be a possession unto the re residue of the heathen. And you are taken up in the lips of talkers and are an infamy of the people. So we're seeing then that this chapter serves as a contrast to the previous one that dealt with the judgment that was to come upon the covetous people of Edom. So remember that Edom stands as the representative of all nations that sought to take over the land of Israel at the expense of their sufferings. We talked about that last week. And that would ultimately include Babylon, of course, with the nations receiving God's judgment for coveting a land which was not theirs, but God's. 
And there's something really important here in, in this particular chapter. <coughs> Excuse me. That there is a, there's a, a formula that's, that we see here. The formula is because, therefore. Because you did this, 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 therefore I'm going to do this, this, this. So there's because, therefore. And that is, that is something that we see very clearly in verses 2 through 4 and actually into 5. Because the enemy has said against you, therefore prophesy and say, therefore you mountains of Israel hear the word of the Lord. Because, you see, they did this. So their judgment then was guaranteed by the word of God. Because they did this, this is what I'm going to do to them. And then you read on in verse 4, it says, Therefore you mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God to the mountains and to the hills, to the rivers, to the valleys, to the desolate wastes, and the cities that are forsaken, which became a prey and derision to the residents of the heathen that are round about. So he's, he's just speaking very clearly to all of the land. This is how important the land is to God. He doesn't leave any part out when he says, you know, this is what I want you to hear from me. Not just the people, but even the land itself. To hear from God. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, Surely in the fire of my jealousy have I spoken against the residue of the heathen. And by the way, every time you see the word heathen or hear the word heathen, it's probably already translated in, in, some, of your, in, in some of your translations, nations. The nations, or even the Gentiles, because that's what, it's a, it's a very simple word in the Hebrew, it's the word goy. Goy, and, and, uh, and, and, and the, the plural is goyim, goyim. And, and uh, it, it means heathens, it means nations, it's also translated as Gentiles. So there are Jews and there are goy, okay, so you get the idea here. So not necessarily heathen and from the standpoint of just anybody that just doesn't believe in God or wants to believe in something else. Is very speak, is speaking very generally about the nations. So therefore, thus saith the Lord God, surely in the fire of my jealousy have I spoken against the residue of the heathen and against all Edomea. Again, Edom is the representative of all those that want to possess the land. Because notice he says, which have appointed my land into their possession with the joy of all their heart, with despiteful minds to cast it out for a prey. So they're, they're, I mean, they're enjoying going in there and getting what belonged to the Jews. Especially the land. So he says, prophesy therefore concerning the land of Israel and say unto the mountains and to the hills, to the rivers and to the valleys, thus saith the Lord God, behold, I have spoken in my jealousy and in my fury because, because you have borne the shame of the heathen. You've borne the shame of the nations. And therefore, thus saith the Lord God, I have lifted up mine hand, and surely the heathen that are about you, they shall, be, they shall bear their shame. You've already borne the shame of the heathen. Whether it be under the Assyrians, whether it be under the Babylonians, or any other force that, in any time of history of the, of the Jewish people that they've had to deal with. And then carry it from that time forward. Carry it to the time that we're living in today and all of the things that we've seen happen to the Jewish people, especially in modern times with the Holocaust. And then, of course, all of the attacks upon Israel since the day of their existence or since the day of their declaration as a nation and their fight for existence. 
The Lord's burning jealousy would strike the evil enemy, enemies of his land, especially Edom. Edom received a tremendous judgment from God because of, you know, the, remember this, the closeness that they were. Edom coming from Esau. Esau and Jacob, and we talked about that last week, and I'll reference it again in a moment. But in his zeal for what he, but for what was his, in, in the zeal of God for what was his, the Lord would judge the hateful nations that wickedly and joyfully plundered his land. That was Edom. I mean, they went in there, they were so happy, man. They were just, you know, couldn't believe how free the access was to the land to them. But God says, no, it's my land. I'm going to judge you for it. And these nations would be facing God's wrath because they shamed and reproached the land and the people by their attacks and their mistreatment. And may I say, as, as they're doing today even. The land is being attacked today. The land is being mistreated today by the enemies of Israel. And the people of Israel are being mistreated and the people of Israel are being attacked. It's still happening. It hasn't stopped. There's not going to be any peace in the world, but according to man's ways of doing things. If they want peace, and, and see, here's, here's where this Islamic thought is, if we can just look at this for just a moment. There's only peace when Israel does not exist any longer. Then they'll have peace. And maybe they'll throw in the United States as well into that mix. There's no peace without, you know, there, there's not going to be any peace unless we can get rid of Israel and the United States. The little Satan and the great Satan to them. But who's in control of, of Islam today? Satan. <laughs> because folks, who they say is their God is not the God of Israel. And it's not the God of, the, of, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's not the God of the believer in Yeshua, in Jesus Christ. It's not. We have foolish people that go around saying that, you know, we all believe in the same God. How can we? How can we believe in the same God? I mean, what, what kind of idiocy, what kind of insanity is it that we all say we could believe in the same God? It's just, just nuts. The most telling words of this portion of chapter 36 is, is the statement in verse 7. I think, was, I think it's one of the most beautiful statements that we see. In verse 7 of, of, of Ezekiel 36. I think I read it, but I read it really quick. <laughs> Therefore thus saith the Lord God, I have lifted up mine hands, and surely the heathen or the nations of Gentiles that are about you, they shall bear, bear their shame. What they dished out, in other words, would be dished out on them. It's really telling, isn't it? I've lifted up my hand, surely the, the, the heathen that are about you. The heathen about you. The nations about you. What's telling about, about that statement is what we see happening today. The very same thing. The very same thing. And they shall bear their shame. What they dished out, in other words, would be dished out on them. 
That is a principle throughout all of the scriptures when it comes to judgment. When, when, when people or nations dish out certain kinds of, of hatred, animosity, attack, misconduct on, 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 on God's people, it's going to come back on them. Every time they do it, they're just, burying, they're just digging a hole for themselves. That's, that's what the scriptures tell us. The sad thing is, as I pointed out last time, is that the Edomites and the, and the Jews were family. This is family. This is a family issue. And that's kind of painful. We've seen family feuds, right? I don't talk about, I'm not talking about the show. Uh, what is it? The game show. Uh, family feud. Uh, that's ridiculous. There, there are a lot of family feuds, you know. Hatfields and McCoys type of thing, you know, where they're just shooting at each other up. Uh, the, the, these, these feuds go back thousands of years. Thousands of years. Haven't been settled yet. But God's not unaware of that. He's very much aware of what's going on in the world today. Knows exactly what he's going to have to deal with. Knows exactly what he's going to have to do. I wouldn't, I wouldn't doubt that many modern Jewish people who are faithful in reading the Torah and the Tanakh, which is, which is the Old Testament uh, scriptures, realize the fact that most of their enemies are connected to them by biblical ties. I mean, the more you read the Word of God, if you, if you read it and you read it faithfully, even, even in the Jewish religion, I mean, they, they read the scriptures, they hear it. They have to come to a realization, you know, if, if you read the, if read the, the Torah portion of, of the life of Abraham, all the way through Isaac, I mean, you're going to have to, you have to admit, hey, this is family here. And to be fair to the majority of the Jewish people in Israel today, this, this may be one great reason that they're the only ones in the region seeking true and proper peace among their neighbors. Israel wants peace with their neighbors. This is no, no, no secret. Israel wants peace with their neighbors. The neighbors say, we don't want peace with you. All of those, all of those peace proposals and peace meetings that they've had over the years in Washington or Camp David or wherever these presidents think that they're bringing some kind of, 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 of peace with, you know, between uh, Yasser Arafat and, and, and one of the prime ministers from Israel, you know, in the past. Menachem Begin or whatever. Yeah, they would shake hands, and then what happens next week? There's another attack. They're, they're, I mean, they're, they're disingenuous. They don't they care. They don't believe. They don't trust. They don't, you know, they, they're, just, they're just hateful. The Jewish people are trying. They, they really want to have peace. But they have to protect themselves. And every time they protect themselves, they get condemned by the United Nations. But no nation gets condemned or no group gets condemned for, for bombing Israel. And that, that's, that's what's happening. I mean, this is just the, the reality of what's going on. Now, please understand that as believers in Jesus Christ, we need to remember the words of our Lord Jesus himself. Because we've come to the Lord 
we have the word of God and the spirit of God to check our hearts about these issues. For example, in John 3, I'm sorry, John 13, verses 34 and 35, where Jesus said, a new commandment I give unto you. I think it was, it was, it was significant that he said a new commandment, which wasn't a new commandment at all, but why does he call it a new commandment? Because it's a commandment that is, that is strengthened by the, by the new covenant that is made through Jesus Christ and what, what's going to happen in the, in the cross just, just a few hours later. A new covenant, or I should say a new commandment I give unto you that you love one another. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have loved one to another. <clears throat> and as we see the day of Christ approaching, I think that it is really, it's really sad when, when even in the church of Jesus Christ today, people are at odds with each other over one thing or another, sometimes stupid things. And they hold it against somebody else. <laughs> and then one party sits over here at the church and the other party sits over there. And they'll greet people around them, but man, when they go out there, it's, I don't want to go out that way. Isn't that just lovely? Where's the love of God? Where's the love of our brother? What has happened to us? I think, we, we've, I think we've watched too much TV. I think we've watched too many movies. We all want to be Rambo. But we can't be Rambo in the church. We need to have the love of Jesus Christ. One to another. The world's going to see us. The world's going to know. There was somebody a few years ago that was, uh, I'm not even going to mention the name, but it was a, a woman that was on some, you know, I want to marry a multi-millionaire show, you know. And, and, and see, the world, the world saw this person on, on that show, and, they, and, and she would say that she was a Christian. She's on this show. She's a Christian. That's what she said. She was a Christian, you know. She went on to pose for Playboy, she went on to have all kinds of other struggles and situations in her life. But the world took notice of what she said. Well, here's a Christian. This is what a Christian is. Going from here to there, this show to that show, going to Playboy, posing, you know, for this, this magazine. That's a Christian. The world took notice. It came out in the press that way. What are we doing to ourselves in the church? When we stop trusting God, and we stop trusting in the Word of God, and then we stop testifying with a pure heart and a pure life. I mean, we could call ourselves a lot of things, but we have to be very careful when we call ourselves a Christian. We call ourselves a believer in Jesus Christ. People are, ta people are taking notice. The scriptures talk about looking forward to restoring and, 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 and the blessing coming to the Jewish people eventually. You see in verse 8, let's go on because we have, we have a lot to cover in just 15 minutes. 
Verse 8, it says, But you, O mountains of Israel, you shall shoot forth your branches and yield your fruit to my people of Israel, for they are at hand to come. For behold, I am for you, and I will turn unto you, and you shall be tilled and sown. And I will multiply men upon you, all the house of Israel, even all of it, and the city shall be inhabited, and the waste shall be builded. And I will multiply upon you man and beast, and they shall increase and bring fruit. And I will settle you after your old estates, and will do better unto you than at your beginnings. And you shall know that I am the Lord. Those of you that have been to Israel with us in our tours, or maybe you've been maybe in another with another tour or another church, I should say. But those of you who have been to Israel, all you have to do is go look up your pictures when you flew into Tel Aviv. And we drove from Tel Aviv all the way up to um, the Sea of Galilee. But as we drove through the city of, of Tel Aviv, we saw many, many high-rises. It was a modern city. It was, uh, you know, a... Uh, I mean, it was a bustling city. Amazing. It is a center of, of great commerce and great uh, uh, technological uh, advancement there in Israel today. But when you go through the whole of the, of the land, there's fruit everywhere. This is, this is, this is talking about what's happened already. And it's just the beginning. It's not the, it's not the end all yet. But the people are back in the land. Nobody ever expected that ever to happen. It was a desolate land. I mean, nobody cared for it. You know, the people who owned it actually were the, were the Turks. The Turks owned the land back in the, in the beginning of the, of the 20th century. And they could care less about the land because was, there was nothing in it. They didn't do anything to cultivate it. They didn't do anything to grow in it. And the Jewish people who were Zionists and wanted to come and, and take the land, you know, you know, they eventually through the Brits, the British, and all, they sold, you know, a lot of the land to very rich industrialists who were Jews, and then began that that movement to to establish the the state of Israel. God was 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 bringing the, his people back in the land. No other way to see it. It could have stayed. It could have stayed barren. It didn't. Israel is 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 one of the top three producers of fruit. One of the top three producers of flowers for all of the world's commerce. Amazing. Today, and this is what God is saying. I'll, I'll multiply you. I'll increase your and bring fruit. I'll settle your old estates. What, what you had before, you're going to be better at than, than your beginnings. There's still a lot to go, but one thing he says, he says, you shall know that I'm the Lord. So now a day is coming in the not-so-distant future when the land will no longer be plundered. It will no longer be mistreated or devastated by war. The land itself will be completely renewed and it will be perfected forever. Now let, let's not forget that the Jews were in captivity and their, their capital city was destroyed. Jerusalem was destroyed. They had, for the most part, believed the false prophets that they weren't going into captivity. The false prophets said, oh, no, we're not going into captivity. They went into captivity. 
And they were told not to fix their homes by the false prophets. Don't fix your homes. Oh, listen, we're going to leave Babylon shortly. They believed the false prophets and not the true prophets. And the more they believed them, they kept falling into worse and worse times. That's what happens when you listen to false prophets. And when that didn't happen, what happened? They lost all hope. But it was in that darkest moment that the light of God's word shined and gave them the hope that they had lost. God had not given up on his people. God has not given up on his people. Jeremiah 29, think about this. This, These are words that are telling them you're going to go into captivity. But stay hopeful, Jeremiah 29, verse 8. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, let not your prophets and your diviners that be in the midst of you deceive you, neither hearken to your dreams which you cause to be dreamed. For they prophesy falsely unto you in my name. I have not sent them, said the Lord. For thus saith the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you. He says, you're going into captivity and you'll be there 70 years. Don't believe these guys that keep telling you, oh no, you won't be there in seven years. Don't fix your houses over there. Listen, just get ready because we're going to go back home. No, God says seven years, you're going to be there. I will though visit you after those 70 years and perform my good word toward you in causing you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. In other words, to give you a future and a hope. And then shall you call upon me and you shall go and pray unto me and I will hearken unto you and you shall seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. And I will be found of you, saith the Lord, and I will turn away your captivity and I will gather you from all the nations. What's happening today? Aliyah is taking place. Aliyah is is the Jewish people that are living in all parts of the world going back to Israel as their home and their homeland. I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places whither I have driven you, saith the Lord, and I will bring you again into the place whence I caused you to be carried away captive. I'll bring you back to that place from where you left. And one of the most beautiful statements made in Ezekiel passage is found in verse 9. For behold, I am for you and I will turn unto you and you shall be tilled and sown. Listen, first of all, he says to them, I am for you. I am for you. Remember what Paul says in Romans 8.31, what shall we say? What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? If God says, I'm for you, what do you think that means? (laughs) Secondly, he says, I will turn unto you. I will turn to you, not away from you. I'll turn to you. We have a God who still comes to us, even when we have faltered and failed miserably in our lives. As Israel did before God. Even after having experienced God as a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. I will not, or I should say, I will turn unto you, not away from you. And then he says, you shall be tilled and sown. (laughs) This is the harder part to understand. (laughs) Because some would say that the Lord will make sure the land is completely renewed and ready for his people to plow and to sow when they return. Because they say, well, you know, he's talking about the land here, is he? Is he just talking about the land? He might be talking about the land, certainly. 
the land will be tilled and it will be sown. Be, it'll be, cause, cause he says, I'm going to renew the land. But if we follow the context of the complete statement, he is speaking concerning tilling and sowing the people. The Lord would dig them up from wherever they were and he would plant them where he wanted them to be. He works on us as he works on his land. He, pr- he prunes us. We don't like pruning. And the King James is called purging. He purges us. Well, maybe I like prune better. I don't know. I don't know if I want to be pruned or purged. <laughs> I don't want to be either one, but, but you know, but, but if, if, if it's up to me, I'm not going to grow any. If I stay unpruned, if I stay unpurged, as it were. But he prunes us as we need to have the dead things of our lives removed, which may hinder us from the freedom that we have in Christ to serve him, but also to do what? To bear much fruit. Consider John 15, verses 1 and 2. I am the true vine, Jesus says, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purges it or prunes it that it may may bring forth more fruit. He's taken his people, he's dug them from where they are in, in this world, and he has replanted them, he's sown them, he's tilled them and sown them. The land and the people would be more prosperous than ever because of what God is doing with his people. How much more those of us who believe in Jesus Christ and truly trust in his word and live for him. Lastly, verses 12 through 15 of Ezekiel 36. Yea, I will cause men to walk upon you, even my people Israel, and they shall possess thee and thou shalt be their inheritance, and thou shalt no more henceforth bereave them of men. Thus saith the Lord God, because they say unto you, Thou land devourest up men, and thou hast bereaved thy nations. And therefore thou shalt devour men no more, neither bereave thy nations any more, saith the Lord God. Neither will I cause men to hear in thee the shame of the heathen any more. Neither shalt thou bear the reproach of the people any more, neither shalt thou cause thy nations to fall any more, saith the Lord God. I'm not going to be people of war anymore when Christ sits on the throne. When Christ sits on the throne of David in Jerusalem, when he enters in with ten thousands of his saints, through the eastern gate of the wall that is even still there today. That's when people will truly beat their swords into plowshares. That's when it happens. There will be no more bereaving of enemies' families. The land will become the true inheritance of God's people forever. My people Israel, it says, will walk the land and possess it. My people Israel. Is that not true today? But there's still, there's so much still for the Lord to reveal about Israel's restoration. So much more. The land is not quite where it needs to be for there to be uh, peace and security and abundance. Nevertheless, it's promised. One day the land and the people will no longer suffer the reproach 
They'll no longer suffer taunts or scorn of unbelieving people or nations. And one day the land will never fall again or cease to be a nation for Christ. Jesus, the Messiah of Israel, will sit on the throne of David in Jerusalem. I leave you with three passages of Scripture, two of them from Zechariah. But Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 13. And again, these are just to support these last few verses here. The Lord shall make thee the head, not the tail. And thou shalt be above only, and thou shalt not be beneath. If that thou hearken unto the commandments of the Lord thy God, which I command thee this day to observe and to do them. When we disobey God, we become the tail (laughs) and, and not the head. Zechariah 8.13 says, And it shall come to pass that as you were a curse among the heathen, O house of Judah and house of Israel, so will I save you, and you shall be a blessing. Fear not, but let your hands be strong. You were a curse, but you shall be a blessing. Lastly, Zechariah 8, verses 20-23. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, It shall yet come to pass that there shall come people and the inhabitants of many cities... And the inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, Let us go speedily to pray before the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts. I will go also. Yea, many people and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to pray before the Lord. And thus saith the Lord of hosts, In those days it shall come to pass that ten men shall take hold out of all languages of the nations, even shall take hold of the skirt of him that is a Jew, saying, We will go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. That's the way it's going to be. It's not yet, but that day will come. God's word never fails. And the way the Jewish people are going to get to this particular point and state is what we're going to learn about next time. So you can read ahead and, and, and see the beautiful statements that are going to be made, and then we'll study them together and thank God that what happens to Israel as a nation in the days to come has already happened to those of us who have said yes to Jesus Christ. He's replaced the stony heart A stone is not alive, it's dead. He's replaced the stony heart with a heart of flesh. Now, heart of flesh beats. It's alive. That's, of course, from Jeremiah, but there's a very similar similar passage here. And and God is going to give that heart to his people. But if you know Jesus Christ now, you have it already. Amen? We'll talk more about that next time. Let's pray.